Hi everyone, welcome to the AI of Mankind show, where I share anything interesting about mankind. I'm your host for this season. My name is Andrew Liu. I've worked across four continents and 12 international cities. Also, I've worked in tech startups across a range of roles from selling products, making customer happy, figuring out fundraising, making finance tick, building teams, and developing sticky products. Apart from building startups, I've also worked in Fortune 500 companies as a chief data scientist or technologist or people leader. You can call me Jack of all trades or master of learning. I hope to make this podcast show a great learning experience for us. In each season, there is a series of interesting things where I invite guests to share their views about their life and interests. Now let the show begin. Hi everyone, thank you for coming to the show. Kindly allow me to introduce my guest for today, Jaya or Dr. Jayaratnam Pillay. Jaya is the Chief Innovation and Data Science Officer. He has run his own technology startup company and consultancy firm offering regional experience in providing analytical and data science work for companies and government agency in the likes of United Nations, Asia Development Bank, you know, and also particularly specializing in developing strategic decisions using economics, data analytics, and artificial intelligence. Jaya has done over 20 analytics-related projects and widely published papers in economic policy, digital transformation, and entrepreneurship, while working and living in 11 international cities. He has expert-level advisory experience in deploying end-to-end data engineering and data systems. In addition, he has obtained his PhD in economics from the Australian National University. Let's put our hands to welcome Jaya. Thank you very much, Andrew, for having me part of your podcast. It's such a pleasant surprise. I'm pretty good. Okay, so the purpose of this podcast is to really understand topics in AI or artificial intelligence, understand digital transformation, and also understand about your story. Because before that, uh, I go to a physical office, 8 to 5. Now, everybody's remote. Uh, my boss, anytime, 24-7, can drop me a message. Hey, Andrew, can you you know, do this and uh, send me a report by tomorrow? And then, um, before I could get back, he didn't reply. I feel anxious. There's this asynchronous coming along. The the lack of synchronicity, the lack of dynamic response, the lack of relationship. What do you have to say about that? What I would say is in the last couple of months, there has been concerns of health and mental awareness. Mm. What companies are now doing is even your boss, even your heads of department are slowly understanding that the, the rigidity of developing uh, the, the boss employee relationship is a lot more cut down they're becoming a lot more softer because they themselves are facing this mental health issues because they are not able to see their physically see their employees employees are being understood a lot more well by the bosses which they would not have before so the pandemic has given the opportunity for bosses 
heads of departments to actually understand their employees a lot more, which they would not have before. Right? Mm. Uh, and I feel the continuation of more awareness in that scenario is going to actually break down a lot of barriers. A lot more people are going to be happy simply because there is a lot more understanding of individual employees' mental uh, health and awareness. And a lot of these uh, CEOs and uh, uh, heads of departments are going to be a lot more relaxed, yet expect a certain level of work and productivity along the line. So there is going to be a lot more softening approach opposed to be a more bureaucratic, don't care kind of a scenario. I don't care what's your help, but I need the report. No, that's never going to actually creep in because they know what's happening. Why? They are in the same boat as any employee, right? They are, have the frustration of not able to see him, not able to talk to them, not able to go to the, uh, to the office to actually either scold because they are themselves are actually stuck in that scenario. There has to be a fair bit of adaptation in the, in the process of how we are actually looking at employee-employee relations and that's where the strategy of business interactions is going to come and communication. Going back to that digital advantage, you mentioned about five points. I remember in the conversation it was about efficiency advantage, productivity advantage. Tell me more what are the other three advantages that you talk about. Now the three other advantages, one of the key ones we security. Now uh, that's a huge shake-up in every single company security of IT services security platform right that that's an advantage now companies are looking into those scenarios they are better prepared from all and better prepared and more resilient from the proliferation of cyber threats in the current environment because there's a lot more uh, frauds happening hence a lot more is spent invested in preventing those and we we saw there's a lot of reports which says Companies are improving their uh, their security and at the same time improving their profit right? I call it profit purses or profit budgets. So that's in and out. Another area is customer advantage. Now, because it's online, the behavior is now able to be monitored a lot more because of Google ads, uh, because of Facebook ads or metaverse is coming to picture. If you have a, an environment where some customers are actually using onla- online uh, purchasing, as opposed to some just walking in, what the study would be a lot more what it got dispersed. But now we are looking at a huge consumption in the digital platform. So there is going to be a heavy amount of data in identifying how customers are behaving to pricing issues, delivery issues, response from customer service. Some of these are going to be a huge advantage for companies, right? Right. And last but not least, how quick are companies? To, to responding to challenges. That's the agility advantage, right? How are we going to actually leverage on search services to make more informed decisions? And how fast? So they have to have a built-in cultural flexibility to adapt or change the course at any point. What's happening is, if they don't take the opportunity to study search data, they're gonna lose out in many interesting aspects of customers' behavioral patterns. And customers, I mean, it's not only uh, the mass household. We are talking about customers, supply chain, logistics. We are talking about uh, incoming international shipping industries. How do they supply their goods into the country? How are they bringing in this delivery of goods in, in packaging? Downward stream uh, customers and upward stream customers. These are crucial data which is now being used to analyze how a company actually succeeds in their respective fields. 
So these are the five main advantages. Ah, so let me repeat again. So it's efficiency advantage, productivity advantage, security advantage, customer advantage, agility advantage, right? So yeah. Jaya, you know, because you have been in this space for so long, you have always been meeting, you know, the uh, client side, you know, the boss, the stakeholders. How do you make the case for digital transformation in crisis? Tell me more about it. So, you know, I have to kind of understand how this case for digital transformation shouldn't lead to a crisis. It should be more of an accepting, adoption and transacting. That's important. It shouldn't be suddenly too prohibitively expensive. Remember, now everyone is working remotely. So it's also going to be heavy on their budget on payrolls, right? Mm. Uh, setting up the, the, the system in respective households, uh, people who are working from home, right? So it shouldn't be too expensive. Many businesses are really reluctant to loosen the purse, right? So we need to look at how digital transformation is often viewed as a massive upfront environment investment in the sh uh, for a long-term results, right? Mm. Uh, it doesn't need to be. So some of the successful transformation projects projects that start with low-cost pilots and limited resources are scaled up once these things are worked out and results are proven, mm. right? Done in the right way, it becomes self-sustaining, incremental, and you are ready for the next uh, wave. The way to pitch to any C-suite or stakeholders or clients is to first give them assurance of the message that it shouldn't be very expensive, right? Shouldn't uh, be very expensive. And so done economics, cost-benefit analysis is probably the easier way to lay out the numbers to show the business case. Yes. So tell You actually can save money. Past recessions, I mean downturns. Uh, they show how the controlling causes by improving the operational efficiency, right? We are now looking at operational because payroll is one thing, but operational operating costs is a huge thing. When I say cost-marking measures, shed some workers hmm. that's not the way to build because that gives you negative aspect of any businesses the idea is to look at how your operations are dealt with right hmm. for example companies heavily rely primarily on workforce cutting to manage costs have only 11 percent chance of a breakaway performance uh, but as opposed to companies which focus on operational efficiencies over layoffs are likely to see a better payoff not only in the short term but in the long term run time uh, the and where digital transformation comes is where this operational efficiency is hit by automation hmm. this is from a harvard business review oh. clearly it clearly they, they did a big study in the u.s uh, they clearly showed that if companies are spending uh, their time to rework on their operational efficiency using automation they are able to increase productivity by from 10 to 20 percent as opposed to just layoffs hmm. and those workers or people who are in a more manual job processes are immediately reskilled retooled and redirected to places where they can perform well on automation right so we it goes back to the economic term of economies of scale hmm. right so initially it was more of a diseconomy of scale because your operations efficiency has dropped. So as a, so what goes back, go back to the roots on where should we maximize our potential? Not offsetting some of the upfront investment, right? So robotics plays a huge part. Yeah. While robotics people will say, oh, we have robots, we're going to have less workers. That the current idea behind digital transformation is 
is that people are worried people are losing jobs. It is actually aiding uh, people who are actually in the existing job in, in the form of reskilling, retooling, and putting them back into where they were working in a more efficient way. So you belongs to the second school of thought, right? Because I I think I previously mentioned in my previous podcast there were two schools of thought. Yep, because you need the human talent, human skills to build these robots, to build these AI machines. So hence, in fact, they create more work, create more opportunities for for employees, a lot more skill. That's the reason why countries like Singapore spends a lot of money in reskilling, while digitization has increased and digital transformation is comparatively a major stay now. Getting workers to understand and reskilling them in this period actually pays off a lot more once the opening happens are uh, automated. Correct me if I'm wrong. So you're saying that the fact that you know uh, this automation, this AI being deployed, um, is sort of uh, reduce a lot of jobs that is repetitive, and therefore there's more jobs, but every job is very complex, and therefore there's a need for reskilling, right? There is a time to reskill or to upskill, you know. But what is the time frame or return on investment from, let's say? The chicken rice hawker. How does the chicken rice hawker reskill or upskill himself to be a coder or AI scientist or data scientist or upskill or reskill himself to be a people manager? What is your take on that? Thinking of trying to undertake such activities and putting it in a robot or automated sense, there are many other variables in the way such food preparation is undergone. You will go to a five-star Michelin sushi chef to make the sushi for you, and that's probably like three hundred dollars per seat. You can get a machine to make the sushi, right? Because you just uh, push it, mold it into the rice, slam it with a sashimi, put a bit of sauce, wrap it up with a plastic. Very uh, efficient, very repetitive. We're not talking about the taste over here, right? We are talking about you know the coming back to the chicken rice hawker. If the vending machine can replace the chicken uh, rice cooking jar. What happened to this chicken rice hawker? How long it takes for him to become a coder, or how long it takes for him to become a people manager? I would say he will be a lot more suited towards the people manager. Why? Because that's a front-end, customer-oriented industry, mm. a service. He's offering a service. If he's going to be a coder, mm. I would say he will totally fail. Simply because it's nothing to do with how you are entertaining or offering the service. It's about how you're going to put these codes to prepare it, and he's never going to actually understand how that's going to happen. Mm. Simply because he he can't taste, he can't smell, he cannot actually feel how such presentation is going to happen through a coded machine, as opposed to he physically doing it and putting it on the table of the customer. It gives the pleasure. He knows whether it's right. He knows the smell of it and the psychology and empathy with customers' taste. Right? He will understand that a lot more. Hence, he will be a lot more tuned towards being a people manager. That means a person who's a frontline with the customers, as opposed to be sitting in the back room trying to create codes to build a chicken rice. That's what we need to look at, right? Because you have not one but hundreds of them. You can do repetitive work, but it goes back to how each individual business is catering in trying to offer the best service for customers because this is what customers require especially in the pandemic where most of the things are robotic most of your work is indoor 90% of the consumers rather walk to a 
food store, stand there, watch this person because that's the pleasure now they get by getting out of the house. So I would say that's the stark contrast in trying to see whether a hawker center guy who makes chicken rice does coding or doesn't do coding. Very interesting viewpoint and or any audience out there who is uh, looking to find somebody uh, who's to cook something that means you're not just buying the food or the flavor of the food the finance of the chef but you're also looking as cooking as an entertainment form and that's where I think robots it's hard to you know I can't imagine a robotic uh, guy that cuts the chicken and cook it in a very you know uh, fancy manner like a dance or like an entertainment thing so that's yeah. the extra value add for that complexity right yeah but think of also hairdressers this is an excellent example hairdressers Till today, no AI machine can do that. There was a trial in the in Japan quite a while ago whether a robot can actually trim someone's hair or cut a hair. In fact, it almost chopped the skull of a person. Wow. Right? So, as I said, there are going to be jobs which are going to always stay, nevertheless, whatever our digital transformation is going to be. But what we need to look at is how such businesses can package how such businesses can be in the forefront of offering the service which consumers like us, consumers who are in the fast-paced line of work, are able to appreciate. You know, uh, businesses uh, or rather individuals, they have to package things that is uh, to a finesse level, whether it's services or products. And that's almost like a business reinvention. Uh, is business reinvention a choice or people can skip it? You know, What do you think? right how do we go back not to change what they have done but how could we correct it because we need to leave a world for the future generation how do we how are we going to be seen by the future generation in the form of did we try our best to save the planet very crucial because we are seeing increased climate issues i see so okay now coming back to like thinking about you know ai and um, you know the future of work or working arrangement you I remember there was a saying that uh, there will be no return to normal tell me what does that mean to you when I say not going back to normal is you are going to go back to work right yes. but you're not going to be in the usual uh, scene of taking a transport going to work uh, enjoying what you used to do with your groups of friends in, in a large groups of friends what is happening is that is not going to be normal. That's you're trying to return to normal. That's never going to be normal. What? Simply because of the pandemic, because of the, uh, the, the the endemic situation we are going to be facing soon. That means we live with it. That's why it's such thing as going not going back to returning to the normal is basically living with this. Uh, uh, pandemic or in in other words endemic situation that's the not returning to normal right why uh, it has changed the, the whole landscape uh, how we live and work right the behaviors developed in the crisis including wide-scale digital adoption will outlast the pandemic mm. definitely because it's invest now again later right mm. and uh, earlier on I clearly said it's better to actually invest now because it's when the downtime was and the reskilling, retuning, understanding business processes, putting them in play and practice, making out all the, the kings in the processes is where the, uh, the non-return to normal scenario is happening, right? For once, this 
processes start to kick in, the savvy organizations will focus on leveraging advanced analytics to extract insights from customer data, continue the internal and external data integration efforts to develop a more holistic view. Right? So detecting such signal is very crucial. So we will not be returning back to how we were, but as I said, in open and close inverted, we will return, but not the usual return, right? We will be experiencing a lot more difference in the way we live and work, right? So I could say, uh, I could propose things like remote working arrangements, shift to e-commerce, contactless delivery, contactless payment, right? Mm. Customers focus on spending less and saving more. It's going to be because if I spend, how could I actually spend less and save more? Uh, improving checkbook. I mean, I could say a lot of some of the government services I come across, they have very poorly developed checkbooks. Right? <laughs> so this is the time a lot of these organizations to actually go back. I could name a few, but the only problem is it will haunt me, right? So right. I would rather say there are organizations which I have approached with using a, a chat box requires a lot more improvements, training the AI to develop a lot more skills. This means, which means you're actually pushing AI to a lot more better usage, mm. right? So what about greater use of self-service machines, right? Self-services. Now I feel outsourcing is the premier thing. Uh, premier uh, idea out there, right? Uh, a lot of this IT talent is scarce, right? They are all hidden. So they are in search of such things. Increased focus on safety, cleanliness and health. Intern is basically looking at these crucial areas in order to polish out things. Hi guys, thanks for listening to this podcast. If this is the first time you are tuning in, remember to subscribe to this show. If you have subscribed to this show and love this episode, please share it with your friends, family, and acquaintances. See you later and see you soon.